Stew here. I'm very proud to announce that Spoilers, my award-winning climate change comedy show, is returning to the Edinburgh Festival on the 12th, 13th and 14th of August. You can get your tickets at stuartgoldsmith.com on the little orange banner, or you can just go to edfringe.com and search my name. I mean, that's what I'd do. Whether you're a die-hard, north-face-wearing climate dude, or whether you are just a regular person who's a little bit nervous about all the news you're seeing and doesn't really know what to think, there's something there for you. It's really fun and funny, and I think you're going to love it. See you there. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like you were real different. Bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout season two, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm very pleased and proud to be bringing you this episode with the wonderful Eliza Schlesinger. Now, Eliza was relatively new to me. I think I ran into her at Montreal many years ago. And uh, she is someone who, if you didn't know who she was, you feel like an idiot for it immediately because she's got something like six Netflix specials. She's been in movies. She's had her own sketch show. She's just one of those people who in the States is an absolutely monolithic kind of uh, star, really. Uh, And I'm so thrilled that she was uh, able to spend some time with us for The Comedian's Comedian. Um, She is on her way to a second night at the Eventim Apollo in London, which she's just added. So don't miss out on tickets for that. You can find them by Googling for them or by following various call to actions uh, in the show notes. Um, I, I really would highly recommend seeing her live. The show that I particularly paid attention to to revise for this interview is called Hot Forever. It's her most recent Netflix special, and uh, I really, really recommend it. I will talk to you and indeed to Eliza. You will hear me talking to Eliza about that in more detail uh, in just a moment. But um, she is one of the things that I loved about her is she has such a surprising physicality. It's so exciting to see a comic engage with like their particular skill set and their particular passions. And she has such a passion and an instinct and an expertise in really physical act outs, not to mention how staggeringly relatable her stuff is. Now, I've got an excellent episode in the can with one Josh Pugh, and we talk very specifically about relatability and his kind of secret weapon of knowing what he thinks and what he perceives in relation to an audience. And I think there are kind of future echoes of that in this conversation. I think you're going to love it. Do do not miss out on uh, getting tickets for her at the Apollo if you're going to be in London. I think she's there in De- early December the 8th, I think. Um, but I will check that now and apologise for it in the mid-roll if I got that wrong. This is Elijah Schlesing. Welcome to the show, Eliza Schlesinger. It's great to Hi have Stuart. you. Stuart. 
Thanks for having me, Stuart. I'm, I am a new fan of yours. By which I mean, I think I saw you, I saw you do like a tiny spot in Montreal, but like a long time ago. I'd never seen one of your hours. And in preparation for this, I watched Hot Forever, which is one of six specials that you have on Netflix. I'm telling you this as if you don't know it. And it, it's one of those ones where I'm like, oh my God, it blew my head off. It's so good. And oh, I you. just want to talk to you about, I suppose the point of this show really is to talk to you about how it's that good and why it's that good and the decisions that go into it. And, and all the rest of it, because you're coming to the, the UK very soon. You're coming like back to the UK. You've been before, right? I've been a couple times. Yeah, I've played all through the UK and, and London specifically a couple times. So I think this is my third or fourth time coming back to London. Okay. Uh, I think it's my second time at the Eventim Apollo, which I'm positive I'm saying wrong. Yeah, um, no, it, Eventim, I've, I've no idea how anyone is supposed to pronounce that word. I don't think we know either. So I don't think there's a... I just, it's always a... It's always a crapshoot coming from another country. You're like, I'm going to do the authentic pronunciation. Like the other day, for some reason, I kept pronouncing it Copenhagen. And I don't know why, because <laughs> I know it's Copenhagen and I've been there. And you start to get nervous that like you're going to get that one DM from someone that's like, actually, it's pronounced this way. You racist piece of shit. You're just like, I'm that thing. I imagine from what I know of you from your shows that that kind of DM saying, hey, actually, you got this wrong wouldn't uh, bother you at all. Because what I see of you on stage, you are an astonishingly powerful comic. You know, like the whole, oh, the, like in terms of the material has got this incredible drive and speed and it's sort of big and, and, um, and visual. Your act outs are fantastic. Obviously, you're really known for that. But also the machinery of the, the, the stage show is such like, I want to just talk about some of the decisions that went into that because you are, sure. I feel like, I feel like you are by design, this kind of absolute train of a performer that blasts in, at, you know, big, big production values, big show, bang. And, uh, and so it's fun seeing you without your war paint on and going, oh, Eliza, a, a human being, as opposed to like this incredibly powerful Titan that we see on stage. I appreciate that. You know, I, um, yeah, I believe in putting on a show. I believe in show business. I believe in certain things like you don't meet people before the show. We're there to put on a show for the allotted 90 minutes. I take it very seriously that people have spent money and more importantly time to come see me because I don't do that a lot. I don't often go and see things probably because I'm working. But I believe people deserve a show and professionalism and polish and not you up there being like, what else? I don't know. I'll take some questions, you know. <laughs> and I think my comedy lends itself to a big energy, a big room. You know, we just played a couple of arenas. I can do a black box theater, but I love the energy. I love movement. And so, uh, but I also don't love being held to anyone else's standards. So it never occurs to me to put on makeup for podcasts. I'm like, I, it's not even about being pregnant. Like, I'm like, I just worked out. I'm in my own house. Like, the jig is up. She's not a supermodel. Gotcha. Oh, well. well what I are you going to do? It's interesting because one of the things that I, I have enjoyed about stand-up in my own career is the fact that you could just be anyone. Like, I, I sit, I, I think historically I've sat on the other side of that. Like, I don't feel the need to put on a show because I feel for me, part of what I like is I'm just one of us and I just happen to get up and speak and there's there's a sort of, it feels organic somehow. 
Like, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm interested that we no, that we see. You can disagree. Of... <laughs> I wouldn't dare. It doesn't matter. No, it's it's. I'm also very big on like, hey, if that's how you feel, like, what 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 does it matter? We're not arguing anything that serious, nor are we arguing. But I think at a certain level, you know, there's an everymanness to stand up. You know, you look at like the blue collar guys, um, yeah. and that relatability, and and stand up at its core is about. Holding up a mirror to society, but holding up a mirror to yourself and saying, here's my deep, dark secret. I bet you have the same one. It's about relatability. You know, airline food, traffic, going to the grocery store, relationships, whatever. But I think the more you elevate, the more polished the art becomes, the more polished you become. Um, I don't believe in dressing up for shows I believe in dressing up for a special taping, but if you see me on tour, this is a utilitarian endeavor. Like I am in, I'm an extension of myself, which I believe your stand up should be that. Like I believe the types of people who dress up for stand up, like would dress up for a local spot as well. Not often. I am a bit, I wear a lot of black. I wear a lot of black skinny jeans. Sorry, Gen Z. I'm a millennial. I'm never giving them up. And uh, I love my black t shirts. And so on tour, I wear that because it's comfortable. It feels like you're going into battle. You want to be dressed for it. And I don't want to be a different version of myself. And so the show and the production are the polished things. And I do my hair and my makeup. But you're never going to see me in like a dress on a Thursday in Philadelphia. <laughs> Talk to me about going into battle. Because I think that's like I mentioned war paint a couple of times. And I said the word Titan earlier on in a moment of madness. But you're... You're going into battle and that is how it that's how it feels. And like the titles of your show, like I think the first show title I heard of yours was Confirmed Kills. And I was like, whoa, that is a that's a big uh, not necessarily. a Well, that is kind of aggressive, but, you know, war it's aggressive. Paint, I think is, it's aggressive. Yeah. So talk to me about how and why you use that aggression. And because I I sort of have a pet theory on it, but I'd love to know what what like what you see is that. Well, it. there is that through line of aggression. Um, for some of them, it's really just those two because there's freezing hot, there's hot forever, there's elder millennial. So it's really just those two war paint. I mean, we're referring to the the hour is about commentary about how women make themselves up for men. So war paint is really a reference to makeup and confirmed kills is a joke about how we are how diminutive we see our grandparents, but it's like you're the guy you call Pip Hop actually has 53 confirmed kills from World War II. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so there is an aggression to my performance, and it's just the type of performer I am. You know, this tour is called the Hard Feelings Tour because everyone's like, Oh, I said what I said, no hard feelings. And I'm like, No, rock hard feelings. I meant it. I think as women, too much, we're forced to equivocate. And tamp down what we're saying. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying. Even if what you're saying is a silly take. Self-deprecating. Whatever it is. Whimsical. Still say what you mean and stand by it. I don't believe in being like. I was drunk when I said it. Or I'm you know, I'm up here drinking. I think sometimes. We. We want women to be drunk. So we give them the license to like be sassy and say that thing. Like you think about the real housewives, you know. Um, and that's just I'm like, if you're going to say it, mean it. And especially as a comic, especially when the stakes are this high, we all make mistakes. We will all say things that you're like, yeah, that's I shouldn't have said that or I don't love that joke. You're allowed to make mistakes as an artist. But 
especially at this level with the amount of hours I've done or that one has done saying standing behind what you posit and substantiating it with concrete examples you know you're giving a lecture you're trying to explain why things are the way they are at least in my stand-up and so there's an aggression there because I'm not an aggressive person but I there's a toughness that I some I mean women contain multitudes so sometimes I'm very tough sometimes it's very soft sometimes it's a cute animal and I think we have a right to explore that sometimes you feel tough sometimes you feel like a ball of laundry with no makeup on and all of those are okay <laughs> something that that really like some of the best stuff of yours that I've seen one one of the one of the tools you wield most kind of uh, uh, adeptly is when you're talking about the situation of of women you know the situation that the expectations placed upon women there's the like i think in hot forever and I'm, i'll refer to that a lot because i've, I've watched it recently and I, I was really so blown away by it but the Thank you. the the diff almost like the softening up around about the ugly bra routine when it's kind of silly and and i, I will talk about your daftness as well which i really enjoy and we'll get into that but by that point in in the hour of the Netflix special, and I maybe you sort of shot for longer than that, or the show was longer. Um, but when it gets to the ugly bra routine, you're starting to merge the silliness with kind of real, genuine social commentary, not just kind of relatable stuff, but really opinionated stuff. Things about like um, submarine sonaring other women, and um, uh, the stuff you do about glitter speak. And then it gets like it kind of gets really serious in the in the last twenty right. minutes. I don't mean serious; it's very funny. But like you really clearly passionately. No, it's pretty serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, some, yeah, some of it's serious. So I suppose my question is: to what extent does that reflect your observation about the state of femininity or the state of being a woman in society now? And to what extent does it reflect your own experience of being? downtrodden or you know told that misinterpreted told to shut up those kind of things because I, I think like you speak so relatably about those situations and but at the same time you're doing it from such a powerful position it's hard to imagine you the character of Eliza being on the receiving end of that oh that's interesting you know obviously comedy always comes from and I appreciate all those words so thank you Comedy always comes from an authentic place and from a place of experience. But just because I'm having my one experience doesn't mean I haven't taken into account the experiences that other women have largely talked about. And so it is, it's a combination of the way I feel, but me also taking a temperature over years and years. And now, of course, we have social media that you can include in your research of just the way that women feel. And so while I may not relate to something specifically, it's always about that kernel of relatability, which is women just like need a fucking break. And so this is me because I don't feel no one's ever told me to sit down. My parents never said I wasn't good enough. I've always been. I've always felt uh, emboldened to say what I needed to say. It's never occurred to me to temper it. So I will say these things because there are people who can't. Because, and I don't think of it that way. Uh, I don't think like, I'm going to do it for you guys. I'm like, I'm going to say the thing that we're all thinking, right? Right? Aren't we all thinking this? And I'm always amazed that people are like, yeah, I just didn't know I could say it. I'm like, what do you mean you didn't know you could say it? Um, part of that is being American. Part of it is being Jewish. Part of it is being a woman who just never saw herself as any different from the guys just never occurred to me and so the way that I say these things it's me 
taking the, the the essence of what I feel and sort of combining it with the way that I, I know a lot of women feel because I listen to them because we all feel the same deep down. You don't, some of us feel more oppressed or upset than others. Some of us have more privilege than others, but at the end of the day, we all want a break. Um, and I feel like you had another part of that question, which was a nuanced question, but I thought, I hope that's the answer. Yeah, I think so. I think that it's clear as well. When I think you, I missed something. I think the question was about the the relationship between your actual life circumstances and the... Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think a big part of the skill of stand-up is realizing the thing that you're thinking is the meat of the joke. And not dismissing the fact that you felt a certain way or thought a certain way. People listen to stand-up because what you're saying is either so crazy that they've it's never occurred to them. Or it's so relatable and they're like, oh, wow, I see myself in that. And so it's just about having the wherewithal to write down that thought you just had. And I always, I never think of myself as so exceptional that the thoughts I'm having are so unique no one's ever had them. It's the opposite. I think I'm just like every other girl and my talent happens to lie in the fact that I pluck out what I, what we're all thinking and I just say it. That's, that's so well put. You might have no, you might have noticed me go, oh yeah, I'm going to make a little note on that bit. Fucking draw a ring around that. That is one of the big <laughs> secrets, right? That's one of the big secrets of stand up. It's one of the big secrets of your stand up. When did you learn that? Do you remember? Was that like a, a kind of light bulb moment where you went, oh, hang on a minute. I just have to say that bit. It's an ongoing practice, like mindfulness, which I'm not even sure what that is still, um, or meditation or like taking a beat. All I mean, I will talk to other comics I think are very funny and we'll be talking and they'll say something and I'll be like, you should write that down. And they'll be like, really? I'm like, write that down. Because sometimes you don't realize it. When you are a genuinely funny person who is genuinely talented at being funny, you don't think everything that you're saying is gold. You're just speaking. And it breaks my heart when people are be like, are you doing bits right now? And I'm like, no, I'm actually this funny. This is what you get. Like, if you heard Ariana Grande humming to herself, you wouldn't be like, are you trying to like write a song right now? It's like, no, this, she just does that. That's her, that's what she sounds like. I'm comparing myself to my greatest competition, Ariana Grande. <laughs> it's always she and I. I think the seminal moment was sort of when I started doing stand-up and it wasn't quite stand-up and I always feel weird telling this story because it is so unrelatable, but it's still my story. When I was in college, I was in a sketch troupe, which is not stand-up, uh, and then I did a one-man show, which everyone does. I did not show my boobs, uh, so I guess it wasn't that art house. And then I did a semester at sea, um, which is a program here in the States where you board a ship with like 600 other students from all these different schools and you go around the world and you stop in all these countries um, and you take classes and uh, luckily my college just made me do pass-fail because I didn't want to take a political science class, but I did. Um, and you go around and uh, every week they would do like a coffee house, like an open mic. So kids come and they read their poetry or they do a dance and I had noticed, I had started just kind of observing the way boys and girls were interacting with each other. It was my first time really being around sorority girls and frat guys and watching the interactions. And I noticed that there would be these really beautiful girls, hot girls, whatever, 
who would try so hard to get the attention of these good-looking guys. And the guys are just like, oh, no, I guess you can come in. And the girls would try everything. And I thought that there was something very funny about that. And I was merely an observer. I didn't count myself as one of those girls. I was more friends with these guys because I was funny. So I had this advantage of being on their side watching the girls try to come in and sleep with them and get their attention. And I knew what that felt like. I know what that feels like to be the girl, like just doing anything you can to get the guy's attention, dropping by a dorm room, making up an excuse. Oh, I accidentally called you. All this bullshit that every generation has and there's different iterations of it. And so I talked about it on stage. And that was the beginning of me realizing that these observations and all the things I've been observing my whole life had come, had culminated in this male-female observation. And that's a huge bedrock of my stand-up. Yes, that is absolutely bewildering. I've never even heard of a semester at sea. Um, so yeah. as, as an origin story for a comedian, <laughs> the fact that you, so you had done a one-person show but it yes but it and it was funny it was like a sketch the kind of post sketch troop one yeah i think you know it's college it's your last year there you get a ch i went to a liberal arts college and so you're cobbling together the little sketches you've written the little monologues you've written yourself it's like a little one man show i couldn't tell you what it was about i would show a couple of videos that i had filmed that were funny so it was funny it was not like okay. the reckoning of an upbringing in the south a letter to my father. Like it was, it was funny. You had some experience and some confidence at performing material you'd written. And that presumably then kind of fed into when you realize, oh, hang on in this, uh, this kind of uh, coffee house type gig, you can, you like, how much writing did you do before that? Or did you think, I think I've noticed some stuff and I'll just go on and wing it and talk about the stuff. Cause that, that approaching that moment that we discussed before where you go, oh, all you need to do is just say the stuff. Right. So the first time I got up, I don't remember all that I talked about, but I definitely pulled bits from the one man show because you had to fill whatever it was, five minutes. And then I probably had some connective tissue to make it about the ship. I'm sure someone has like a grainy clip of it somewhere. And then that morphed into the next time I did it, making it about just the community, like what's going on, the food on the ship, the maintenance issues the other students how how it felt like just commentary on our collective experience as a group and I think in a way being the one making the commentary about what we're all feeling in this small group has sort of informed the way that I desperately want to always be a voice of my generation voicing how we feel voicing women because as an artist I so I so dearly want to be seen and heard like at its core this comes from wanting to be heard and wanting to have said something that was impactful and, a, and even deeper than that I think it comes to down to wanting an explanation for why things are the way they are and so I'm not a sociologist and I'm not a scientist and I can't explain everything about the world, but I can explain my tiny corner and I can deep dive into socio-scientific reasons why women, why you are wearing that makeup, why you are wearing that lipstick, why you are wearing those high heels, because I think we do these things. We go through these machinations of femininity and of modern society 
without realizing why we're doing what we're doing. You don't realize why you want that guy so badly. You don't realize why he doesn't want you. And it all comes down to science. And I think if you can explain it, it makes me feel a little bit more sane. And it gives it legitimacy versus just making a joke about a hand job. Like, Bob, what's the science behind the want to do a hand job? <laughs> <laughs> and do you have any, do you have like a pet theory as to why that search for the why is so important to you? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, as far back as I can remember, feels like the beginning of Goodfellas. Like, all my yeah, life, I wanted to be I a gangster. Yeah, the beginning of your one-person show. Yeah, God. That's my favorite movie. Um, I just always felt like every, people in charge were stupid. I was never disruptive in class, but you get a pretty good sense. And maybe it's because my parents are New Yorkers and I am from Texas where it's not, you know, you don't really call things out, especially like as I was growing up the way you would in New York. But there was always this sort of scrutiny and I'd always be like, I think, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know why that girl's popular. I think she's dumb. I don't know why that guy's popular. He's not good looking. Like, what are we doing? I'm the person. I mean, it's not that I don't have sheep mentality sometimes, but I've always been like, what are we doing? Why that? And maybe the why that always came from why them, not me. Or a frustration. I'm not good at this. Therefore, I think you're dumb. I don't like the way you're doing this. A lot of critiques on stuff. Um, and maybe part of it's being Jewish. You know, we're a culture that asks a lot of questions. Uh, it's sort of inculcated into the ethos of Judaism that we ask. Uh, and so, and maybe from deep down as a kid, you're just wondering how come those kids got that and I didn't, you know? And maybe that informs just this inquisitiveness. And it's weird because my daughter's incredibly inquisitive. But I think as a the type of comic that I am, and I think I might be in my own sort of lane on that, but desperately wanting to be informed about the behaviors that rule my life because then it makes you feel a little less crazy right do you feel that having a kind of baseline attitude of why them not me that you might say if someone was experiencing that that a, a, a great job for them to go into wouldn't necessarily be the comedy industry in which you have the opportunity to think why them, not me, about everyone all the time. It's the perfect job for you because show business has no rules. And the answer is why them, not me. The answer is it can be you. Just put a little bit of luck in your pocket, do some work and think, cross your fingers. You know, um, you look at actors and actresses and entertainers all the time. You're like, what's so special about that person? The answer is not nothing. There's something or what's special about them is that they are the everyman. I mean, there is something special. If you're going to be successful in show business, whether it was hard work, whether it's that you're beautiful, whether it's a talent, like there is something. Nobody is famous, genuinely famous. You can be a celebrity, but like genuinely famous for being talented when you're not. Even your favorite singer, if you think they suck, I promise you they are exceptionally talented. They just aren't singing the songs that you want to hear. Um, and that's what's, it's what's also heartbreaking about show business is because the answer is sometimes it's just not you just because it isn't, just because it ain't. Uh, but you do have the opportunities to, the opportunity to create opportunities for yourself, which is something I have to keep reminding myself every day because it's a gauntlet. Um, 
But I also sometimes I'm just like, why not me? Because it can't be them, so I want it to be me. I'm not going to not do this audition. Why should they get it just because I didn't try? Sometimes you get rewarded for it. More often than not, you don't. But but stand-up and entertainment, stand-up in particular, is is great because you really can create your own magic. In acting, you have to have so many people agreeing on you. A producer, a director, a casting, like they've all you gotta go through audition, they've all gotta decide. The network, the studio, stand up, you just need sometimes in some cases not even a microphone, but just an audience. And you just need their attention for a minute. And you can create an act. And then you can take that act and you can do it somewhere else. And you can become so good at this if you just put in the work and have some of the talent. And uh it's not like sports where it's super black and white. Comedy is more nuanced. You can be marginally funny and still be wildly successful. You know, there's a lot of gray to it. It's show business. It's brutal. And anytime I complain about it, there's no solace in an explanation. There's my agent or my manager just like, yeah, it's fucking hard. Like, we're all just like this hard. I don't know how anything gets made because it's, you're so, it's so subjective and you're subjected to, did they want to read it? Was it the right executive on the right day? Does it fit their mandate? Like you just, there's so many variables. Are you famous? Well, did you package it enough? You did stand up. Did you know the right people? You know, sometimes being funny and being talented isn't enough. You need the right people around you. I mean, that's why so many People who are successful at one point sort of fade away because they didn't have the right team. You know, it's just such an alchemy. Um, And it is choosing to continue to push yourself. For me, that looks like I get up multiple times a week when I'm at home in between cities when I'm on tour. I don't write like physically, like I don't write my jokes down. They're all in my head. So I'm constantly getting up and doing 15, 20-minute spots around town as a way of polishing, and then I just go back on the road. Um, Some comics tour perennially. You know, for some people, it's taking that acting class, not getting the gig, auditioning for the same casting director, sometimes for your friends who have a project that you can't have. And it is just choosing to never give up. And sometimes you do. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Like, there have been times that I'm just like, well, I guess I'll just die. And then after you kind of, like, lick your wounds for a day, you're like, I got to get back in there because I have... I got to pay this mortgage. Um, but always, I'm so grateful for stand-up. Because if I didn't have stand-up, I would just be an actress that booked like two things ever. And so, and it is the best job in the world. But it is, even even the best job in the world, it's still a gauntlet. Like me touring, is it's difficult. Like it's, I, you know, because the airline industry is such a mess, I take the earliest flight out. So you're exhausted. You get to the hotel. You have a few hours. You go to the venue. I mean, my time at a venue is, it's a rigorous, it is like get there, hair and makeup, take the Polaroids that we sell up front, put them in the thing. I always check merch to make sure it looks good. I have to sign like 175 posters for our VIPs. I do an hour. Then I do an hour plus meet and greet. Then we start the second show. Then you're in bed. I My fans, this is great. My fans give me a lot of gifts. So I, I go through every single gift and I tag every single fan. Like it's just the way that I choose to operate. And then you get on a plane the next day. You just hope you don't get fucking bronchitis from the person sitting next to you. And then you come home and you leave 3,000 people screaming your name. People that get your name tattooed on them. People crying when they meet you. And you put yourself on tape for a bit part in an ensemble movie, and they don't call you back. <laughs> so this is Eliza, and it's the, uh, I did get it right, it is the eighth, it's the sixth as well, but I think the sixth has sold out. But find out more about her at, I mean, I'm going to guess it's elizaschlesinger.com. I shouldn't need to guess at this stage. Let's go with elizaschlesinger.com as I frantically Google it's Eliza.com. Of course it's Eliza.com. You don't get to be a megastar without an instantly recognisable first name. Um, so this is this is Eliza. She's great. She's so uh, smart and funny and generous with her time and uh, really is a thinker. We're going to talk about... I didn't even... Normally I will tell you what the show's going to be about in the interim, but I didn't. The stuff that we haven't currently covered... Um, are the we're going to talk a little bit about the sort of the special skill really that underpins her relationship to her audience and her relatability. We're also going to talk about her empathy and her increasing focus on material that's meaning to her. And we'll find out uh, why she often ends up as a witch. There's two in particular moments that we talk about really daft little moments um, like physical comedy moments where you can see she's making herself laugh in the special that we're discussing here. And they are a joy to watch and a joy to talk to her about. So more from Eliza in just a second. Uh, she's on at the 6th, although I believe it's sold out, and the 8th of December at the Event of Apollo in London. And, um, I mean, do people still call it the Hammersmith Apollo? It barely matters. You know what it is. So get along and see that. Um, there are, There's more. There's more from Eliza. Uh, we're going to talk on, in the Insiders Club about the power in being quiet. We're going to find out her internal monologue on a movie set. That's fascinating. Um, and we're going to talk about how she manages friendships with her extraordinary work ethic and, and busy life and family life and everything else. And I, I think that's something... I don't know, is that a, precon a preconception? Well, it's not the word. A pre... Oh, God, it's this again. I can never remember the word. 
a preoccupation of mine, perhaps. Uh, perhaps it is. But uh, I love hearing how incredibly busy and successful people manage to stay friends with everyone when they're not feeding the beast of their workaholism. So all of that and more in uh, the Insiders Club. Go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to get hold of ad-free episodes, extra content from every show that has it and much, much more. Let's get back to Eliza in just a second. But first, of course, my Soho shows are coming out. I think there's just time. I think this is going to come out when there's one or two nights left. But if you haven't been to see me at the Soho Theatre yet, please do so now. I'm there until the 2nd of December. So 29th, 30th of November, 1st and 2nd of December. Uh, I hope you get the chance to come along and see Spoilers. It's a climate comedy show that won't make you feel sad. And what more can we ask for than that? Let's get back to this conversation with Eliza Schlesinger. When you're, just to come back to your live stand-up, the journey that you take the audience on is not solely one of comedy and it's not solely one of um, kind of softening them up in order to receive the, the the message, like the real message of the show. Like there is, with, with the show Hot Forever, there are several moments in the first half an hour where people, you know, people, predominantly women in the crowd, are cheering and you're getting kind of like applause as well as laughs, you know, moments which are like, yeah, raise the roof kind of moments. And then it becomes more nuanced and it becomes more finessed and you you are saying things which are are more meaningful and get even bigger reactions. I also think it's really interesting how you make sure that you that you bring the whole room with you, not just in when you're like, you've got lovely, those lovely little moments where you're like, not you men, not anyone in this room, but also this, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not just saying that from the perspective of a man going, oh, this is nice. Eliza's sort of allowed me into it. You don't want to feel bad. Well, (laughs) but you also, the way you described it just a moment ago is like that really is your, your, your shows are really suffused with that because you are making sure all the while that you say to people, you have a voice, you are empowered. You know, you have felt like this and you don't deserve to feel like that. And it's just fascinating to me that you manage to couch that in in such like really rock hard premises, really finessed act outs, really like wringing every possible tag out of a subject. And all the way you are extending a hand and saying, come on, come on, we can do this. We can do it together rather than as I had assumed when I I think when I first heard of you and I saw the title confirmed kills, I was like, oh, roast comic. You know what (laughs) I mean? Like you're going to come out there, bang, 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 you know, whereas it's much warmer than that. But it is it, the warmth is expressed from a position of kind of absolute authority and absolute control. It's funny because I remember they used to call Don Rickles Mr. Warmth, which I always thought was funny because there's there's <laughs> something there. There's a love there um, in making fun of people. Um, I What you're talking about is a term that my team and I have had for a while in a lot of projects, and I call it digestible feminism. Because I know how my ears turn off when someone who isn't like me lumps me in with a you people or says all women do this, all of your kind of people do this. You don't want to hear it. If somebody comes in hot, you've already it's already an uphill battle. And I don't believe women are a monolith. I don't believe men are a monolith. I see myself as equal to men. So I'm not coming from a place of anger toward men I'm coming from a place of disappointment and righteous indignation at everything I often have no side and if you think I'm on your side I'm very quick to switch to the other side maybe because nobody sat with me at lunch in middle school 
but um, I am an island. <laughs> I have no country. And so I'm always arguing sort of and standing up for both sides. And by that, you know, talking about like bringing in men because you bought a ticket. You spent your money to come see me. Why would I want to make you feel bad? I think sometimes performers, you know, you get on the soapbox and you forget that there might be people in your audience that don't agree with you all the way. So you got to give them something, some grace to be like, that's okay if you don't think that. And here's what you might think. And it is a huge compliment I get. I'll get people both sides of a sociopolitical aisle or people who are not like me in whether it's economic status, both ways, color, gender, whatever it is that say, I don't always agree with you, but I really like your comedy. And I think that that's incredibly powerful. And nuance and these shades of gray are something that we completely lack in our society and, and, and online. You know, this is a, Gen Z is a contextless society and social media is a soundbite based currency. And people just read headlines. And so I got you in there for an hour. I'm going to broach a topic that I deeply believe in, but I will substantiate it with valid points while wrapping my hard to swallow stuff in sugar. Because at the end of the day, it is a stand-up comedy show. I am not there to do a lecture. I'm not, you know, on a circuit. You want to bring people in. And, and that's how you get them to listen. What strikes me is that it, it's incredibly successful at doing precisely that because like, it's hard to imagine, you know, like someone who is the opposite of a Fox News viewer is never going to change their mind on the out the output of Fox News or vice versa. Do you know what I mean? People, that's that's the conversation, isn't it? I, I do a lot of uh, comedy about the climate at the moment. And one of the things you quickly realise is you can't change, you know, to change someone's mind is like, oh God, how do I actually contact someone to kind of change their mind? what will make people change their minds is not, you know, the kind of TV shows and news and David Attenborough for us or what have you. Um, but it's, it's about the Really? I feel like David's helping. I feel like <laughs> David, well, David is so helping. Much. David is helping. Bless him. Um, but what will really change people's minds are their, their friends and their family members talking to them. And I think Gently. you managed to cut across that with your comedy because you absolutely can, it, it becomes sufficiently digestible. I think that's fascinating. You call it digestible feminism. I appreciate that. I mean, look, you live in whatever rural Oklahoma and you have like a husband who like loves Donald Trump and he's like salt of the earth, whatever. There's still merit to that person. And I have that perspective being a liberal person. I live in Los Angeles, but I am from Texas. So and I've had the pleasure of touring my country extensively. So I have a working understanding and knowledge of the rest of this country. Yes, I go to these big cities, but you get this chance, this context to see that just because someone lives in a red state doesn't mean that they're bad, doesn't mean that they're other, doesn't mean that they're worse than you. You know, I remember I was on a movie set and I had to be transported from one city to another. We were in the deep south and the guy who was driving me you know, he's got the backward hat with the weird version of the American flag that you know is like a right to bear arms, AK-47, Blue Lives Matter, whatever. You could tell by what he was wearing and he's got a shirt that has like, I don't know if you guys have this, like that vague constitution type writing on it, something about guaranteed <laughs> rights, like just that type of American. But he was nice 
right? Because they always say views of old, heart of gold, heart of gold, views of old, meaning like if you're nice in the South, chances are you don't, you don't believe in voter suppression. Um, and we're just having a chat. And I, of course, bring up abortion rights because he has three daughters. And this was right after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Having a civilized, not wanting to be mad, just kind of wanting to talk to him. And the car broke down. And I think he was former military. And I do a lot of work with the military. So I have a, a soft spot in my heart for these types of people that I guess are men and women in the military. And didn't even hesitate. Got out, took his knife out, jacked up the car. Did, like sw- Changed that tire so quickly. And I know this, it sounds dumb. Like, oh my God, he changed a tire. But like, I don't know how to change a tire. I don't know that all of my male friends do. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But like, he knew a lot about the car. It was beyond just the tire. And it's like, it was just the thing. I'm like, wow, you and I are not the same. We were not raised the same. We probably don't have the same values. But like, there's a value to people who are different than us. Having a different skill set. And I really respect that. I really fucking respect that we might not agree politically. I can't respect that you're, you believe your rights are more important and you know what I should do with my body or your right to carry uh, an automatic weapon into a public place. But I don't think that people have enough context about other people. So when I look out into my audience, I feel privileged that I have all of the girls that look just like me, all of the girls that don't look like me, all of the men who are opposite from my husband, older people, young people. Like, it's not the most diverse audience. I'm not trying to pretend it's that. But to get people from different sides of a political spectrum and from different generations that come to the show because I, they feel I'm speaking to them, uh, it's a privilege. And I'm, I don't take it lightly. So I always want to make sure I'm honoring exactly what I want to say. And that you don't feel bad for having purchased a ticket. What uh, What are your superpowers as a comic? And what are your weaknesses? Oh. Okay. Mm. I'm very quick. Quick to digest information and deduce what that means from that. Versus just a quick comeback. I'm good at being incisive and I'm good at, uh, for some reason in my mind, it was just when it comes to crowd work, I'm good at synthesizing and putting into relatable terms a feeling that we all have. So those are superpowers, uh, otherwise known as talent. And my weakness is sometimes I'm too fast. Sometimes I listen to myself and I'm like, oh my God, slow down. And I've tried to. It's like a lifelong note. Uh, And maybe I tend to think about things through the same lens and prism, just because that's how I think. But I don't know if there's any weaknesses as much as just different. Because I don't look at any other comics and say like, oh, I wish I was that. So... I'm not a great listener. I think going too fast. And that's just in general. Like I always try to, I realize I'm like, if you just slowed down the way you spoke, you could have two hour specials out of the one. <laughs> like if you just gave them a little less, but I can't. 
Um, do you do you recognize any just that thing about the the same lens that you said do you recognize kind of rhythms or habits in your comedy and if you do recognize them do you think that they are things to be shaken up and 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 kind of broken apart and new discoveries to be made or do you see them as oh i'm honing that i think it works itself out if I am thinking of this in terms of men and women, it's because there's something to be thought about there. It's not like, and it, and it works and it is the way that I think. And it is di a, a digestible way to examine society because everything does come down to, I'm not a comic that talks about sex a ton, but everything does come down. Most things come down to that, to a biology. Um, wait, I had something else. Oh yeah. I love like my act is, They've got some poignant moments. There's some serious moments. Obviously, it's funny, but then there's also like a whimsical element. I tend to always put my body in the same shape. I tend to like hunch over. <laughs> you do do in the that, other yeah. <laughs> It's a lot of hunching because to me, like maybe it's like this just from watching so many cartoons. Like there's always a creepy, whether it's a party goblin or the pharmacy witch. Uh, sometimes I'll make fun of myself. I'll be like, everything's a witch. Everything, I only have like two voices I do. And even in this new hour I have, I have this joke about, I don't want to give away too much, but it's basically about a decision that all women have to make. And it's about how, and I, as it comes out, I'm like, fuck, it's another witch that appears. That's like, here are your choices. <laughs> like there's always this sort of like old English rural witch who appears to deliver news. And I'm like, you got to get another word besides witch. <laughs> and goblin and you got to do another voice so i've been cognizant of that because i don't want it to be like oh this is the same character that keeps appearing but she lives in my head so i don't know what to do there's um there are two there are two little moments i noticed in particular in hot forever which really they kind of spoke to my own sense of humor and also i could sort of i really enjoyed the delight that you found in them there's one moment when you're doing a puppet hand and you kiss it and you go it's a goose and it's like it's almost the only moment in your show it's almost the only funny thing you say that doesn't get a huge roar of a laughter and i just loved yeah. how it was there for you do you know what i mean like yes it was like it, it, it showed you. me I, I, I sort of felt like oh i hope if i saw the show again that precise moment wouldn't happen because it felt really real and like you were sort of tickling yourself you were like oh that you know it was like a very sort of um, yes liberating kind of moment of oh this is we see a little glimpse as to how eliza builds this stuff some of it she builds and it makes her laugh but it doesn't go anywhere and it was like a little window into that i appreciate that and it kind of goes back to what i said like this is for me your art is for you i am having my own sketch comedy puppet show up on the stage in my mind you can see all of these costumes and characters and the goose is just that whimsical moment for myself, but for anyone else who's like a little weird in the crowd that also thought my hand looked like a goose. Little creatures populate everything. Um, yeah. Yeah, the goose was, that's funny. The goose was there. That's funny that you felt. There's a, you got to have those moments for yourself. Otherwise, it's miserable. Totally. I mean, that, to be honest, it was that. And then like a few moments later, the, or maybe like five minutes later, part of your act out of, of being a sort of a not good enough woman in, 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 an, in a bit is that you go, return me to the sea. And it's just, it's from exactly, it's not quite the witch voice, but I feel like geese, witches, yes. return me to the sea. It's all in that world. I thought it was lovely. 
it's just like a whimsical, sad world, you know, and I always try to say things when I'm describing an ugly woman or something. I always try to say things that are un- so unrelatable that no one in the audience will be like, oh, my God, that's me. Yeah. Like, I have this ugly woman that I do in this and I describe her as like a pit bull gorilla. And the only thing she says is like hot dog. And I'm like, the chances are no one looks like this or only eats hot dogs. Um. But, you know, I say this, I remember in one special, I had a whole joke about a woman appearing at a club at the end of the night and the guy's going to take her home and she's like, please, like, can I, can we wash my hump before we make love? And I said it because no one has a hump. Sure enough, years later, I get a DM from some miserable woman that's like, my son has a hump. And you're just like, okay, let me go back in time. Like, I tried to pick the thing that no one has. Like, give me a break. So, whatever. Sorry if your hand is actually a goose. <laughs> Last question. Not sorry. Are you, ha- yeah. are you happy? Yes. I don't think anybody is... I mean, I'm not happy with the state of the world at the moment. There's all these external factors. But what I always remind myself is, like... Luckily, you live. I live in a place where, like, the I go outside, the sun is shining. Sometimes a little too bright. Like, I don't take safety for granted anymore. Ever since October seventh, it's something that looms large in my mind and in my heart. Um, I am happy. I'm a happy person. I might get sad and I might feel hopeless or downtrodden. I don't have depression, but everybody gets depressed because that's a normal swing. But overall. I'm not a negative person. I'm a realist. And uh, I, I usually wake up with a song in my heart. <laughs> like a weird song from the 90s from like a local above ground pool installation company or just something random. So I am happy and I try to keep things in my life that make me happy and I try not to do things that don't make me happy. And stand up makes me very happy and it's afforded me the ability to do things that make me happy. Like rescue this Chinese dog or do a workout or just sit in my house. (laughs) Thanks, Eliza. So that was Eliza. Don't miss out on tickets for Eliza's show at the Hammersmith Apollo, at the the event of Apollo, which is in, well, it's in Fulham, really, isn't it? Anyway, um, so uh, don't miss out on tickets for those. Go to Eliza.com to find out all about her and follow her socials and all of those things. I really cannot recommend her stuff enough. It was a revelation to me. Brilliant, brilliant comic. Um, also get tickets for the Soho Theatre if you fancy go to stuartgoldsmith.com there's a lovely little pop out video which I made in Wix in about 10 seconds I'm not advertising them for money but if they'd like to pay me money more than happy to tell everyone to get a website on wix.com it's absolutely brilliant um, really nice in a in a recent meeting with my management for them to say hey that banner advert on your website doesn't go anywhere there's no link and whilst saying oh sorry I'll just fix that I fixed it it's great give me some money Wix I'll sing I'll sing to the skies in praise of you um so uh that's all good this episode was produced by uh producer Callum so thanks to producer Callum who's helping me out with all manner of stuff right now uh it was logged by Susie Lewis and uh, the music of course was by Rob Smouten as it always is um so see me in Soho if you can catch up with Eliza that's all of that stuff. Oh, oh God, I, was, I thought this system was a bit too simple. I need to post Amber at you, so I'll think of something now by pressing pause, but for now I bid you adieu. Um, oh, it's it's Wednesday. I often record these on a Wednesday afternoon, and I've got to take the boot cross swimming. 
And I've just had the thought of like, oh God, have I got time for a post-amble? I've got to get ready for swimming. And I feel like I've said that before. Do you have a... Here's the post-amble. I've got a thing to talk about now. Um, but if you're sticking around for that, great. If not, uh, please try to uh, maintain a consistent sense of self until I speak to you again. Ta-da. So here's here's a thing that we can uh, that I can share with you. Do you find yourself? This is pathetic. I'll do this quickly and then tell you actually a f- about a fun thing that happened in Brighton. Um, do you find yourself? Uh, do you ever buy pesto, for example, and then take it home and open the cupboard in the six jars of pesto? <laughs> no. Uh, do you ever find a little cut on your hand and you keep getting a little cut in your hand in the same place, and then one day you realise where you're getting it from? Do you ever? Um, get out of your like you constantly sing song of the ancestors from Moana and it's always in your head and you don't know why and then one day you get out of your car and the the beep to let you know that you've left your keys in the ignition is the first two notes of song of the ancestors by Moana it's fun that isn't it when you realize what the thing is (laughs) that's been that's been an active part of your life for so long quietly Darren Browning you to make you think about things you didn't realize you were thinking about um and so I just have one of them in relation to swimming but more meaningfully, if you can imagine something even more meaningful than that petty little observation. I was in... A lovely thing happened. Now, listen, we need to accept at this stage that if you haven't seen spoilers, you will do one day. I hope you engage somewhere with some bits of my um, uh, climate crisis comedy. (laughs) Those are three words to strike terror into anyone's heart. But um, you can... If you'd like to see some little clips, there are some at Stuart Goldsmith Comedy uh, on Instagram and TikTok if you do that. But I... I mean, it goes up there as well, but I, I never look at it, which is why it's not doing very well. But um, uh, Instagram Reels, going swimmingly, thanks. And you can find some uh, some clips from spoilers on there if you'd like to get the tone of the sort of thing. There's a few, a couple of three up on there now. Um, so we've got to, with with that in mind, I want you to come and see that show and I want you to engage with it and what have you. The, the quest to make the climate crisis funny in some way has been ongoing for a year and a half and has been painful and punishing and very exciting and like i have been ultimately since completing the show uh, it's like it being written completing the edinburgh run and everything else i have sort of felt this extraordinary sort of if i do a gig i've got to stick some climate down their throats because if i don't then what am i right it's the challenge it's the mission that i'm on and um I haven't been giving myself permission to not do that. And then in the weekend, I gave myself permission. I had a funny old sort of a gig on the Friday, feeling a bit ring rusty and a bit untogether and a bit like, God, what is my walking around set at the moment? Because it's all so climatey and it's very like it's what I want to talk about. But there's a limit to what you can do when you're headlining a Friday night club. I not only did some writing for the first time in ages because all the writing has been aimed at climate stuff I sort of gave myself permission to just write about other things and then do a gig about other things and I just had the time of my life it was like taking off lead weights that you've been running with and it's important that you understand I want to tell you about this without making you think that the experience of coming to see me do comedy about the climate is like putting on lead weights I'm speaking specifically and solely from a performer perspective I had I've had fun and it's been super challenging doing the climate stuff. But to then let myself off the hook and go, I'm going to do... I think my set list was like the impossibility of thinking anything when you look at the ocean, why the stars are terrifying, 
and something, you know, losing my mind in a forest is like an older bit from a couple of years ago that didn't develop further. And now I'm like, oh, I can develop this stuff further. It's still pretty fun, head squeezy stuff. But the joy of not needing to bring up a subject, which is which can be inherently challenging, was so great. And I don't know. I want I mean, I love I love the stuff I'm doing. And I, I as I've said before on this show, if you work in sustainability or know someone who does, I've got loads to offer and loads to collaborate on. And, and I'm really enjoying that aspect of it. But I'm particularly enjoying it now that the process of building that show by making it robust in comedy clubs is largely concluded for now. And, uh, and now I can just go out and be a comedian and fuck about. And oh, my God. Oh, my God. What a joy. What a privilege. So there we go. That'll do me for now. Um, sorry about the mouth noises. I, I'm i beginning to think that, you know, every time I... This is inside, inside baseball. Every time I record these blurbs, I seem to suddenly have a blocked nose. And I don't walk around with a blocked nose. And this is quite good equipment. You can probably hear... And this is an awful thing to talk about. Sorry. You can probably hear that the last fucking bunch of post tumbles I've done. I think, I mean, I am allergic to dust. The cellar's incredibly dusty. I record these in the cellar and I have only just put two and two together in the manner of a tiny little ADHD bellend who just never makes connections between things in his life. I think I've got to start grinding up and snorting some antihistamine before I do the blurbs. Yeah, right. I'll try and I'll put that in the workflow. Ta-ra. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.